Please stand with me for the reading of the scripture. We're going to read this bottom section, which is verses 1 through 7, and then we'll jump over to the last paragraph. I'll read these this morning. Hear now the word of the Lord. Moses assembled all of the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, These are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. Six day work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in all of your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones, and stones for setting, for the ephod, and for the breastplate. Thus all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of, of meeting was finished, and the people of Israel did according to all that the Lord has commanded Moses. So they did. According to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so all the people had done all the work, and Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it. As the Lord had commanded, so had they done it. Then Moses blessed them. This is the word of the Lord. Lord God, this morning we are so grateful for your word that comes to us. We're grateful for this passage in Exodus, so rich with lessons for us even today. May we learn from their mistakes. May we learn from the things, their error of their way. Lord, may we choose the path that leads towards light, towards you. Help us, Lord. We need your grace, your mercy in our lives. Be with Pastor Andrew now as he leads us, brings these words to us from this wonderful passage in Exodus. Bless us, we pray, from your word. In all these things, we give you thanks and praise. And we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Four thousand weeks. That is the average human lifespan. If you take 80 years by roughly 50 weeks a year, that is where Oliver Berkman gets that number um, in a recent book called 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals. I have not read this book, but I came across a review of it uh, in Christianity Today. Uh, according to Berkman, the average human lifespan is absurdly, terrifyingly, and insultingly short. 4,000 weeks. A lot of what we do with these weeks, well, what is it? Is it meaningless? Is it filled with efficiency? Uh, 
Are we following Jesus? Here's the reviewer. She says, consider how often we opt for efficiency. For many of us, making the best use of our time doesn't mean living a purposeful life. It means getting as much done as possible. We multitask, we hustle, we pursue what Berkman dubs the fully optimized life. She goes on to say, Christians have not been immune to the gospel of productivity and progress. Some of us have been discipled to believe that if we just work hard enough, if we plan hard enough, if we deny ourselves hard enough, we can escape suffering and futility. But Scripture reminds us that the gospel of progress and productivity is not discipleship. It is not what it means to follow Jesus. And that's what we mean when we talk about this idea of discipleship. Disciples have a master. They seek to follow in the footsteps of their master. I'm really glad that our our young people are with us today. It's one of our fifth Sundays, so they're not out at children's worship. But you know what it's like to be a disciple. You are sort of disciples of your parents. You follow in their footsteps. You're watching them. You're seeing how they live their life. You're picking things up uh, both explicitly, things that they say and do and tell you to do, but also implicitly. You're just watching them and you shape your life uh, like them. Terrifying thought for those of us who are parents. Discipleship, we might say, is a process uh, in which we're transformed into the image of Christ, who's our master. Uh, to reflect the glory of God in the world. I mean, we could take apart that definition. I don't. I, I, I sort of made it up. Uh, in, but it's these ideas. It's this process. We talked about it last week. We're transformed from uh, one degree of glory to the next. It's not something that happens immediately. Following Jesus, our Master. And what I want to emphasize to you today as we take a look at this section in Exodus 35 to 39 is it's something that comes, this discipleship, this process, comes in response to the abundant mercy of God. You know, we, we've been tracking with the Israelites in 32 to 34, and I'll be honest with you, I, I had not planned to have a sermon on 35 to 39. If you look at series on Exodus, oftentimes there are not sermons on this section because so much of it is repetitious uh, from what took place earlier when God gave the instructions for the building of the tabernacle. In fact, there are large sections that are are literally word-for-word repeated, and we've talked about a lot of these concepts already when we were studying sort of 25 to 31. So why stop and do this now? Why I come back. Here's what I realized, and and I had never realized this before. Like, the order really matters. Uh, As we look at 32, the sin of the Israelites with the golden calf, 34, the mercy of God where He forgives their sin, shows Himself to be full of abundant mercy, received by the intercession of Moses, chapter 33. We now have a people 
that has been inundated. They've seen their sins so clearly, dancing before that golden calf, uh, but they've seen the mercy of God even more clearly. They understand that this changes everything. And so, we, we see what they do, how they live that out. And, and if we're in that situation, I think it's important for us to stop and pay attention here. What does it look like to, to live lives in light of the mercy of God? What, what shape does that take? How are we formed? You can take whatever popular word you want to take these days, discipleship, formation, all of these different things. But what does it look like to live in light of God's abundant mercy? And I want to highlight uh, really four things for you and then just wrap it up with a fifth observation. The four things start with this. We are formed, uh, shaped by the Word of God. You saw that at the very beginning of this passage. Jerry read for us, Moses assembled all of the congregation of the people and said to them, these are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. And then when it wraps up again, sort of the inclusio of this passage in Exodus chapter 39, thus all the work of the tabernacle, uh, the tent of meeting was finished, the people of Israel did all according to all the Lord had commanded. And then it's sort of awkwardly repeated again in 42 and 43, according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people of Israel had done all the work. And Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it as the Lord had commanded, so they had done it. If you read chapter 39, it's in its entirety, this uh, according to the word that God had given Moses, so they had done it. It's repeated over and over and over again. What's the point? Discipleship starts with the Word of God. Discipleship starts not with, again, to use modern language, it doesn't start with the autonomous self. It doesn't start with the wanton cravings that led the Israelites to the sin with the golden calf, as it was described in Psalm 106. Discipleship starts outside of ourselves with the Word of God speaking into our lives, giving shape to what this looks like. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this uh, this morning. We actually just had a whole series on that where we looked at Psalm 119 and we talked about God's Word being sweeter than honey. But we can't say it often enough. Like, if you want to know what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, you have to know His Word. You have to be in His Word. You have to be in His Word uh, daily in your private uh, worship, your private devotions. You've got to hide His Word in your heart. You've got to treasure it. You've got to know it. You, you cannot be a disciple of Jesus without knowing His Word. And of course, it's true for the disciples as they followed Jesus. He was the rabbi. He was the teacher. He was their master. They were hanging on His every word. They were listening to what He said, and they were seeking then to implement that into His lives. 
And this is something that is important to us as a community, uh, and we want to continue to pursue it. It's why we, we take the bulk of our service and, and we shape it around uh, hymns that teach us the Word of God, reading the Word of God, you know, expounding the Word of God. All of these things are, are very important. But one hour a week is, is not enough. We need to have it in our private worship, uh, offering Bible studies at, at every age, every sort of demographic, men, women, college, young people. You need to be a part of these things, whether it's through this church or Bible study fellowship or, uh, you know, in your schools, wherever you might find it offered. Love the Word. You have to love the Word if you're going to be a disciple of the Lord. This is very different. You remember, again, Exodus 32, they had been given the words of the Lord. They went in their own direction. They allowed their wanton cravings, their autonomous self to lead them. Here, when they start responding to the grace of God in their life, it starts with loving the Word. Now, these next three things flow out of the Word. Uh, so, if you want to, I even did this in my little notes, like I, I drew lines from, you know, point one to point two, three, and four. You can do that if you like. You can do whatever you want. Uh, but these flow out of the Word. Once we understand what the Word says, then we begin to do what the Word calls us to do. And what is super interesting, there are several things actually that are super interesting in this passage, uh, but what is super interesting to me in verses 2 and 3 is that the very first thing that they are commanded to do in their discipleship is Sabbath. Super interesting, isn't it? Like, like we think about Sabbath as something that's kind of a cherry on top. You know, it's, it's actually lumped in with the weekend. You know, that's where uh, Sunday comes in terms of our own formulation. Uh, we, we think about Sabbath as something that we move into, and there's an aspect of that that is true. I mean, we are all headed to our eternal Sabbath rest. But note that here, as Moses is talking about discipleship, he begins with Sabbath. He says, if you want to really follow Yahweh, you have to learn what it's like to be with Him. You have to learn what it's like to rest. You have to learn what it's like to uh, take your hands off the steering wheel of your life, uh, and to really rest in Him, you have to be able to worship. This is where your discipleship comes from. It's not necessarily what our discipleship is going to, but it's where your discipleship is coming from. From. Now, we talked about this um, a few weeks back when we looked at the issue of Sabbath, but I find it really interesting, you know, when we read through all of these passages, actually, if you remember, 
the very last thing that was talked about in Exodus 31. Addison uh, talked about this when he was talking about Bezalel and a holy lab, was the idea of Sabbath. So it's the last thing that happens before the sin, and it's the first thing that God comes back and says, think about this. And I think that's actually really relevant for us because we have been discipled. Did you hear what uh, the, the review said? You know, we have been discipled to believe that if we just work hard enough, plan hard enough, deny hard enough. It's interesting that she even uses that word discipled. You know, we, we in America ha- have been shaped by the ideas of efficiency, We've been shaped by the ideas of of doing more, trying harder. You earn your way. You pull yourself up by your bootstraps. We have this Protestant work ethic. We have this, you know, especially West Michigan, sort of this this Dutch do-ism, you know, that uh, just happens. But God starts with rest. Rest in me. Take your hands off the steering wheel of your life. Learn to see who I am. Allow that to fill you. Now, I I confess, I I struggle with this uh, probably more than than many of you. Uh, It's not easy because I, I think about things in productivity terms, like how much did I get done today? And, and if I come to a day, a week, where I put away my phone, I, I, I don't open the computer, uh, and, and I get nothing done, has that been a successful day? Well, the answer, according to discipleship, is if you've worshipped me, if you've allowed your heart to expand to me, if you've been filled with me, says the Lord, it's a successful day. It's interesting. Did you notice verse 3? Uh, they were to kindle no fire uh, uh, on the Sabbath day. You know, fire was technology in those days. A- and God said, don't, don't even start it. Because you start kindling that fire, you're going to want to do stuff. It's interesting to me, Amazon even has a Kindle and a fire, right? And so, uh, I do think that there is something there. You know, God is saying to us, rest. I will give you seven days of manna for six days of work. You can actually take off a whole year, he said to the Israelites. I mean, Sabbath was so, so important. If you remember back in chapter 31, verse 12, he said, The Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. So, what does that look like? Now, this is where we can get into all kinds of casuistry, and, and I'm not really interested in that. You know, God is interested in our hearts. God is interested in, in having a, a day, an hour, a period of time that is filled with Him. 
I, I do think technology is one of those areas, maybe you just start with that. You know, maybe you, you say from the time that I, I go to worship, you know, till sundown. I'm going to I, I'm going to refrain from technology use. Uh, that that's a that's a huge thing, and and I'm talking to young people, maybe more than I'm talking to to older people, but maybe not. Uh, you know, where where can we shape our devotion to God? How can we? Maybe you're going to read a book that has nothing to do with your job. Uh, maybe you're going to go for a walk. Uh, and, and just soak in the, the beauty of nature. Maybe you're inside in an office or all of that. There, there are so many ways. You know, mercy is a part of the Sabbath. Hospitality is part of the Sabbath. You know, welcoming people into your home, going out as a family and serving, just doing uh, something intentional. But think about it. And realize, as we said, you know, for a slave nation, the idea of rest was really a great gift. And God comes back and He says, let's start discipleship here. Learn to be with me. Because after all, this is where we're going, right? It's an eternal Sabbath rest. Like your productivity in heaven is going to look very different than your productivity on earth. Your productivity is going to be wrapped up with worship uh, of the Lord. This is actually, and you know, I, somewhere along the line, somebody made this point, and I thought it was really good. You know, I, I talk with a lot of you who are uh, at a different stage of life, maybe one where your body is breaking down a little bit, and you just can't do the things that you used to do. Have any of you said that? And, and you get frustrated with that. You, you get frustrated with the lack of productivity in our lives. But you know what? When we really accept these ideas of Sabbath, you, you realize that, that part of the aging process is that God is inviting you into that eternal rest, and He's getting you ready for that. You know, you, you can gaze at God in a way that, you know, somebody who's filled with, you know, the, the responsibilities of work and raising a family doesn't have. You know, there's some opportunities there for prayer uh, that, that really deepen. And, and so, I, I get it, you know, I, aging is part of the fall. Uh, I understand that, the breakdown of our bodies, all of those things. But there's a part of it that says, you know what, there, there are opportunities that are afforded to you at this particular stage in your life that are part of discipleship in a very real way. The third thing that I want to highlight for you, and again, this is shaped by the Word, right? The, the Word is the thing that shapes us. But the third thing that I want to highlight for you is the generosity of this people. You got a hint of that beginning in verse 4, chapter 35. This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution of gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, scarlet, yarns, fine twine, linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, and on and on it goes. We've talked about this a little bit. We said follow the ornaments, you know, as we were looking back. And remember in chapter 25, God had said, 
give from your heart to the building of the tabernacle. Chapter 32, the people gave from their heart uh, the ornaments that were to construct the golden calf. Now here we are on the flip side of God's mercy to them through their sin of the golden calf, and God reiterates His invitation to give from their hearts, to be generous and and give in terms of uh, to the Lord, offering back to Him the very ornaments, the very gold, silver, blue, purple, fine twine, linen, all of that that He had given to them when, the, uh, when they plundered the Egyptians. It's really a, a, an interesting passage. It, it culminates in 36, 2 to 7. So this is on the second page there, opposite your outline. Moses called Bezalel Oholiab, every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him to come and do the work. So again, note that there is not an external compulsion here, but there is a generosity of heart. Their hearts were stirred. The grace of God had so overwhelmed them. Yahweh was so real to them through His grace that their hearts were stirred. And they received from Moses all the contributions that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary, and they still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning, so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing. And they said to Moses, the people bring much more than is enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So, first time this has ever happened in the history of God's people Moses gave command and word was proclaimed throughout the camp, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution of the sanctuary. The people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. Do you see you know, part of discipleship, what it means to follow Jesus, is that we are marked by this unbelievable generosity for the Lord's work. An unbelievable generosity. It was the first time that ever happened in the history of the church, and it might be the last time that that ever happened in the history of the church. That They had to say, no more. You've brought enough. You can't bring any more. But I love this idea of generosity. You know, I think sometimes, you know, we talk about this. Like, Our great desire, and I hope that this is true of everybody here, I mean, we we want to be shaped like Jesus personally, but we want to do that so that we can reflect His glory to the world, right? So our great desire is that people who have uh, no relationship with Jesus, maybe not affiliated with the church here in Grand Rapids, in which that encompasses like 60% of the population of Grand Rapids, our great desire is that they would see and that they would be uh, compelled, that they would want to come in and have a relationship with Jesus. And so we think about apologetics, you know, how can we understand the spirit of the age? How can we understand, you know, and respond to things like the autonomous self and all of these different things? Do you want to know what might be the the most compelling apologetic of all? Radical generosity. You know, if we 
become so enamored with Jesus. We become so resting in Him that we know He has taken care of us. We no longer have to see our wallets or our checking account as our security or our significance. We are able to give freely. We are able to, uh, to give uh, uh, risking even. Something that doesn't make any sense in the eyes of the world. No, you've got to be more prudent. You've got to save for your retirement, all of those different things. You know, that's the message of the world. But here they are in the wilderness. Now, no, this people has no opportunity to make any other money. There's no guarantee that, that what they are giving is going to be replaced. But they are giving from their hearts. They're giving generously. They're giving free will. They're giving radically. They're giving in, in such a way that it will draw the attention of the surrounding nations because they'll say, that's completely unlike us. We want to hoard. We want to hang on to. We want to, uh, we want to steward. And we sometimes put it in Christian terms, right? Now, I'm not against stewardship. But this is the opportunity. This is the call to discipleship is this sort of radical generosity. A friend shared with me uh, a little essay by James Catford, who works for uh, the American Bible Society, and he's commenting on um, he's commenting on the the parable of the feed or not the parable the the event of the feeding of the five thousand, where the little boy brings to Jesus his five loaves and two fishes, everything he had. It seemed meager at the time, but of course Jesus multiplied it. And here's what Catford said. He says, how appropriate that a simple child should show the rich and the powerful a fundamental characteristic of God himself. For God so loved the world that he gave. That's my addition, but that's what he's talking about. When this boy gave what he had, he released a power in the universe that has been seen time and time again down through the centuries. The church has always been at its most potent when it had the least, but it's always at its most transformative when it acts in the power and the reality of the kingdom of God. Jesus' invitation to us, to the disciples then, he said, you feed them. This is the invitation that Jesus places in front of every disciple, whatever our resources. Quite simply, he wants us to discover for ourselves how the kingdom of God operates in our world today. And I love this line. To step into a life transformed by the grace and to experience for ourselves the inexplicable economy of God. You see, when we, when we have been so overwhelmed by the mercy of God, when we stop and, and remember who He is in all of His attributes, it's going to change us. It's interesting, my wife pointed this out, uh, that the first two things when we read the Word of God, Sabbath and generosity, time and money. Those are the first two things that, that begin to mark us as disciples. What do you do with your time, and what do you do with your money? 
And it's so true. I mean, it was true in the desert, you know, so many years ago, and it's true with us today as well. Third thing that I want you to note is just how communal this is. Uh, if you would read with me, uh, verse, chapter 35, uh, 20 to 29, it's that other paragraph that is printed there. Uh, and as I read it, note the all, the everyone, the inclusivity of this passage. Then all the congregation, the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. They came, everyone whose heart stirred him, everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution, contribution to be used for the tent of meetings, for all its service, for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, brought brooches and earrings, signets and uh, rings, amulets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering to the gold of the Lord, and everyone who possessed blue or purple, scarlet, fine linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, they brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution, and everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use the work brought it. Every skillful woman spun with her hands. They all brought what they had spun, blue, purple, scarlet yarns, fine twine linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. The leaders brought onyx stones, stones to be set, spices and oil, light for the anointing oil, for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to build anything for the work that the Lord had commanded to be done, brought it as a free will offering. So, there is obviously some uh, notes in there about what they were bringing, but what I want you to hear there is the totality of the community that was involved there. I mean, this is really an amazing thing, and it's one of the things that, uh, again, very different from our culture. Our culture pushes us to this, you know, rugged individualism that we don't need anybody. But the reality is, like, if we're going to be disciples, it is not a lone ranger endeavor. It is something that we have to do together. We need everyone. We need people with their various skills. We need people who can, can uh, do the linen. We need people who can perform the construction. We need people who can uh, lead. You heard that mentioned there, leaders. We need people who can do all sorts of different things. We need the totality of the community. We need men. We need women. I, I love the fact that this calls us out in a very particular way. You know, they, it was a patriarchal society. It's just the way that things were back there. But the Old Testament, in a way that was set apart, very different from the cultural narratives of those days, emphasizes the important contributions that not only men, but also women made. They did important work in the construction of this. The other thing that you have to know about this, and this comes from uh, Exodus 12, uh, verse 38. Uh, sorry, Exodus 12, verse 38. When they came out of Egypt, they were a mixed multitude. Uh, there were other nations involved with them. Uh, that was part of the group that came out. They, they took the other slaves that were in that area. God freed them as well. This is why when we read the commandments, we see, see so much about the sojourner and the aliens that were in the gate. So they all, 
Everybody that had been set free, everybody that had received the mercy of God, everybody that had been involved in that sin and had received the mercy of God, they all came together in order to work out their discipleship. And this, again, is part of our journey as well. We want to ask ourselves, what does it mean to use our 4,000 weeks well? I'm at week 2,700, by the way. My son Josiah is at week 1,350. We're exactly half the age. I don't know what week you are in right now, but, but what, what does it mean to use your weeks well? It means that you care about other people. It means that you find your place in the community and you ask, what can I do to use my gift? And everybody has it. Young people, college students, uh, men, women, we, we all have gifts and we need them. Not, not just to keep the machine of church running. That, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about making an impact in Grand Rapids. We're talking about shining a light so that people that are outside of the community can see there is something different about that group of people. And we need everybody. Part of it is the way that we care for people. You know, when, when, when we find that we have this diagnosis, and some of you are really good at that. You are excellent at caring for people. You're excellent at making meals. You know the right thing to say at the time. Some of it is, is much more practical. It's when people come into the church, and we have all the time people that are coming and looking for help. How do we, how do we engage with them in a way that shows mercy to them but doesn't enable? You know, some of you are really good at thinking through that. Some of you are excellent administrators. We need that kind. The church needs everything. We need everybody's gifts. Part of discipleship is this communal effort. And the result is tabernacles. We see that, thus, the work of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, was finished. The people of Israel did all, uh, or did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So they did. Uh, the tabernacle was done. Uh, Moses saw it, and Moses blessed them. Now, remember last week, we, we made the point with Moses uh, that uh, the, the tabernacle was was the place where the glory of God was contained. And, and that was the, the picture of His glory. And, and we said, you know, like Moses became the picture of this. You know, Moses' face, his skin was shining with glory. Why? Because he, he himself came to picture the tabernacle. He himself, you know, was, a, was an Old Testament representation of what the Scriptures say is the New Testament us. We are the temple of the living God. That's the point of 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, Paul's point there is to say, therefore, we don't associate with the world. We don't fill ourselves, you know, with, with sexual sin and other things like that. But the reality is we are the containers of God's glory. We are, you know, as we seek to follow this word, as God lays it out, this picture of discipleship that we have here back in the desert, 
You know, we reflect His glory. And, and here's the thing that I want to highlight for you, because you're like, come on, Vandermoss, this is chapters 35 to 39 of Exodus. This is so long ago. This is so much repetition. But listen to Acts 2, verse 42, starting there. Some of you know this passage really well. This is the New Testament response to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the people at Pentecost. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Do you see that there is no difference between the picture that God gives us in the Old Testament of discipleship and the picture that we have of this New Testament discipleship in 42? It's the Word of God. It's awe, wonder at who God is. It's generous hearts. It's all together. This is what it means to follow Jesus in response to His magnanimous grace. I am the Lord, full of mercy and compassion, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, keeping steadfast love for thousands. Have you seen that in your own heart? Have you received the grace of God? If not, that's the place to start. Go back to Exodus 34. Get to know this God of mercy and of grace and compassion. Those of you that know Him, start in Exodus 35. Follow out this pattern of discipleship that will shape us. 4,000 weeks. The Scriptures say, teach us to number our days. I find that an incredibly finite number. <laughs> 4,000 weeks. May they all reflect to the glory of God. We pray with me? Father, we pray that you would help us to respond to uh, this message of, of mercy in the desert uh, that we've been hearing about these last few weeks and we now see come to fruition. Pray that we would all hear your voice, Jesus, uh, that we would come, we would learn what it means to rest, we would learn what it means to lay down ourselves and, and to find you to be our meaning. May it push us out uh, into generosity. May it push us out into a, a welcoming spirit that says to all, come. Find a place here. Find welcome here. We'll, we'll change our lives. We'll change our friend groups. We'll change all of these things. But come and find welcome and rest. Together, let's seek the mercy of God. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.